Welcome to the Bridge Builder Program, an initiative of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, where we help you live your faith in the public arena. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and joining me in studio is our producer and Minnesota Catholic Conference Communications Manager, Kit Cross. Hey, Hey. Kit. Hey, Jason. Welcome, everyone, to another week of a great show. I hope that you're having a very blessed day. You can catch the Bridge Builder program right here each week on your favorite Catholic radio station. But if you miss an episode or want to catch up on past episodes, just visit us at mncatholic.org slash podcast or look for the Bridge Builder on your favorite podcast app. Each week on the show, we try to bring you a great interview on an issue impacting how we live our faith in public life. We also answer your questions in our mailbag segment. You can email those to us at show at mncatholic.org or connect with us on social media. And it wouldn't be the bridge builder if we didn't provide you with a practical way during our bricklayer segment to lay the bricks to build the common good. We've got a great show today. We are going to look at the question of gender identity ideology and offering a credible pastoral and important witness in the public square on that difficult and challenging question. In our mailbag segment, we're covering a timely issue regarding ways to help families in our immigrant and refugee communities. And stick around for the bricklayer, an important document that you'll want to read before casting your ballot this fall. We're now blessed to be joined on the line by the ninth Archbishop of St. Louis, the recently retired Archbishop Robert Carlson. Our listeners may recognize him. He was the Auxiliary Bishop of St. Paul in Minneapolis before becoming the Bishop of Saginaw, Michigan and Sioux Falls, South Dakota. He's come out with an important resource and teaching document on this challenging question of gender identity ideology. We're grateful to have him join us and generously join us on the Bridge Builder program today. Welcome, Archbishop Carlson. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Uh, Great to be with you. You've been a bishop for over 35 years. What's been your greatest joy and greatest challenge in that important role? I'll have been a bishop 37 years in January, and uh, I would would have to say I've always thought of myself as a pastor. I became a priest to actually pastor people at a parish, and along the way I've uh, really been blessed by the people who I was ministering to as they ministered to me. And I have to say that one of the things I enjoy the most is preaching. I find it a a challenge every week to first begin in prayer and then to open yourself to uh, the particular scriptures and to spend some time letting it uh, ruminate within your heart and mind. And as far as the challenge goes, uh, I find that today people, certainly during the pandemic but even before, uh, seem to be less and less patient. And as a result, I think some people get on the computer faster than they should and type in capitals. And other people uh, write letters that, you know, maybe a a little more thought, a little more prayer might have been slightly different. But uh, because of the pace of society and some of the challenges today, uh, there's a a lot of uh, emotional turmoil out there that can be challenging at times. Especially at the intersection of religion and politics, and we certainly are on the receiving end of some of those letters that you mentioned, but uh, certainly those are opportunities to minister to people, too, so um, grateful for that perspective. Archbishop Carlson, go ahead, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, they say religion and politics are two things you're never supposed to bring up in polite company. And, of course, we always do. That, that's exactly right. And, uh, and, and, and as you well know, uh, as a bishop for so long, having to work at the, challenge, at the intersection of those in the work of the Catholic conferences of the respective states that you've been a part of, it's a, it's a really challenging but also exciting and uh, hopeful uh, opportunity as well to evangelize in this place of the public arena. The, the Christian message of sin, forgiveness, and redemption through Jesus Christ seems to be harder to preach today, despite it being at the heart of what the world seems to need right now. 
why do the seeds of the gospel have trouble taking root? How can the soil of our world be made more hospitable, in your opinion? You know, I, I like to say uh, something to people whenever I have a chance to uh, give a mission or to uh, preach or to talk, and that is, what role does Jesus Christ uh, play in your life, and does he seem close? If he doesn't seem close, I'll say, you know, this is your lucky day because I'm going to share with you a prayer. And if you say it privately, no one will ever know. And the prayer is very simple. You just say, Jesus, come into my heart and into my life. And I said, the Lord always responds. He fills your heart with love, and you can love him in return. That's difficult to do today. And going hand-in-hand with it, uh, you know, I ask people, uh, when's the last time you prayed for an increase in faith? And some people say, I never thought of it ever, which means they... They're just taking their baptism for, for uh, granted, and they're not asking the Lord to strengthen and build them uh, as they go along and as their challenges in life change. Today we're, we're struggling with the fallout of broken bonds in our families, broken bonds in our society, broken bonds even in our churches, and people searching for identity as a result of that and, and trying to find it, whether it's in uh, their status as an American a citizen, whether it's in their race, whether it's in their sexuality. You've written an important resource to help the church address this question of those who are struggling in their gender identity or their sexual identity. Say a little bit about how that came out. Uh, I, it seems to me that that stemmed, that resource that you've developed uh, came about because of a conversation with Pope Francis. Can you say a little bit more about that? Well, now I'm in, a, in Region 9, and when we were with the uh, Holy Father, and it was a delightful discussion. He spent two and a half hours with us. And one of the things he said is, he said, you know, the preeminent moral issue is abortion. But he said right behind it is the whole question of transgender. And he said, as people don't understand that they're given their maleness, their femaleness in creation, and, you know, God has made us in his image and in his likeness. And he said, we have to spend time reflecting about that. What are the sources of the prevalence of gender identity, the gender identity crises today, and, and how can we respond in an effective, incredible pastoral manner? I know that's a big question. <laughs> it's a huge question, but, uh, you know, first of all, we have to wrestle with our identity. As a matter of fact, I think we have to wonder about, in a very uh, beautiful way, about our maleness and our femaleness. And that's, that's really not a common experience. I think a lot of people just take it for granted. But the first thing I, ha- I think we have to do is, uh, is we are reflecting that way. If people are going through that in their, in their uh, personal lives, I think uh, we have to tell them, uh, don't be fearful. Rather, uh, uh, we want to come to them with compassion so that there can be a, a rich dialogue. In, the, in your reflections, Compassion and Challenge, uh, you identify this issue of identity as being central to overcoming this crisis, how do we promote an integrated vision of the human person in our churches and in our educational institutions? Uh, well, there's a couple of things I think we have to uh, look at. First of all, begin with Scripture. God made us uh, male and female. He made us in His image, and uh, He made us with a unity of body and soul. And as a result, one of the problems, which is at the root of uh, gender ideology, is that sex is separated from gender. And the Catholic understanding of the human person holds that sex and gender cannot be separated. And therefore, there are limits to how we can manipulate or change our bodies. It seems to me that 
oftentimes we approach so many issues through this question of identity, but we put our secondary identities ahead of our primary identity as uh, a child of God and uh, a member of the church. And we look at others not through their primary identity as a child of God or a, a member or potential member of the body of Christ, but through some secondary identity as well. And whether the, and that could be as a citizen of the United States, a member of a political party, a member of a Knights of Columbus, uh, someone who's pro-life. It, these are not unimportant identities, but certainly they're secondary uh, with regard to that more fundamental identity of being uh, a son and daughter of God and, and in relation and in, in right relationship with him through Jesus Christ. How can we re- help recover a proper sense of our identity, uh, even outside of this question of gender identity ideology? Uh- uh, a couple of things I think we have to take in, into consideration when we're looking at gender ideology. And first of all, that feelings don't define our identity. Just because one feels a certain way, that doesn't define them or define who they are. Secondly, that uh, human integrity does not necessarily mean acting on your persistent desires uh, to be true to yourself. And finally, anyone who doesn't affirm our feelings and actions hates us. And that's, that's entirely wrong. Uh, feelings are part of us, but they don't define us. And actually, there's a beautiful quote in the scriptures from St. Paul where he says, What I do, I do not understand. For I do not do what I want, but I do what I hate. The feeling is ready at hand, but doing the good is not. And that's part of our human condition. We have, we have to realize that and uh, understand that uh, what we desire with regard to uh, our identity just simply doesn't uh, necessarily follow. And if someone disagrees, it doesn't mean that they hate us. And so that's why I, I try to balance uh, uh, both compassion with the whole question of challenge. In other words, when we're dealing with uh, a challenge that may be presented to us, we at the same time have to share with them the, the challenge which our Lord brings uh, into people's lives. Certainly, biology isn't bigotry, um, and it's not necessarily disagreement doesn't have to be disagreeable. One, you mentioned scripture, Archbishop Carlson, and oftentimes we hear on these controversial moral questions of our day, well, Jesus never said anything about abortion, or he never said anything about uh, same-sex marriage or gender identity ideology, and in fact, these things can be understood or reconciled to the Catholic faith. What, what is the, how, how can Scripture be a resource in confronting this challenge? Uh, say more about that in the scriptural vision, despite the fact that there's, Jesus certainly didn't say anything specifically about gender identity ideology in the Gospels. I think a couple things. First of all, um, the role of the, of the Church, it's actually its first duty is to remain faithful to the Word of God. And while it's okay to question Catholic teaching, as a matter of fact, I believe, as I wrote, that that should be welcomed. At the same time, we have to understand there may be a greater awareness that we, we, um, you know, we haven't uh, quite achieved. And so uh, when we listen to the scriptures, we see our Lord in a whole variety of ways. And there's all kinds of examples. Uh, the woman at the well who asked for a drink of water, the person with the uh, hemorrhaging who reached out and touched him, there's all kinds of experiences, and these are experiences in our day as well. And so the Lord always comes to us with compassion. And at the same time, he also always comes to us with a challenge. And you can find many, many different examples of that in the scriptures. But that doesn't rule out the challenges that we face today. 
In other words, uh, the Bible is not a vatty mechanism for uh, what you do, like you might receive from a car manual, but rather uh, the Scripture is supposed to open our heart and so we can hear the challenge and also listen to how the Lord is speaking to our heart, which takes us back to your first question, and that is, if we don't open our heart to Jesus' love, if we don't love him in return, we're not going to hear the gentle whispering of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, it can be very, very challenging and, and very difficult. Pope John Paul wrote a series of reflections on the Gospels and the creation stories uh, called The Theology of the Body. Is the theology of the body a resource in, in addressing this challenge of gender identity ideology? Uh, I personally believe that the theology of the body, the writings of Pope John Paul II, are really the key to some of the challenges that the Church faces today, whether it's preparation for marriage or it's how you live with your spouse after you get married. Uh, years ago, there was a, uh, a quote, I think, out of Marriage Encounter, one of those groups, I'm not quite sure which one, and it was reflecting on divorce, and it said, if uh, a spouse with his or her partner reads the scriptures together every single day, if they pray together every single day, and if they go to church together, the divorce rate is something like one in every 1,551. And I knew at that time, I forget where I was assigned because I moved around a lot, but I think the divorce rate was one in, one in three. So. Um, yeah, the Lord has a lot to say about our primary vocation and at the same time um, with the issues of the day. What are the resources and or groups or ministries that you've seen that are particularly effective in responding to the challenge of uh, gender dysphoria or gender identity ideology? Well, there's a number of things. Uh, there's some basic documents, and one of them, of course, is the uh, uh, Responding to Transgender Issue, the Parent Resource Guide. Uh, from the Minnesota Family Council in 2019. Another is the, uh, the teaching resource from the Conference of Bishops, uh, the Statement on Transgenderism by the National Catholic Bioethics Center. There's a whole variety of Catholic websites and uh, other websites. And the thing I want to say is that uh, this uh, resource, uh, which we prepared, uh, Compassion and Challenge, is also available uh, on the website here at the Archdiocese of uh, St. Louis. Outstanding, and we'll certainly put that link up on our show page as well. Thanks for highlighting that, and certainly uh, glad that you mentioned the Parent Resource Guide from our advocacy partner, the Minnesota Family Council, as well as a helpful resource. And I believe uh, the bishops of Minnesota have issued something as well, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. So we address the issue both in our uh, Minnesota, Our Common Home, uh, about Pope Francis' encyclical Laudato Si, but also in our Guiding Principles for Sexual Identity and Catholic Education. Both of those can be found on our website, mncatholic.org. Thanks, Archbishop Carlson, for mentioning those. We are speaking with the Archbishop Emeritus of St. Louis, Archbishop Robert Carlson. We're glad to have him, have him on the show talking about his pastoral resource, Compassion and Challenge, addressing questions of gender identity and gender ideology. Turning to the public square, Archbishop Carlson, how can we oppose gender identity ideology in the public square, especially after the recent Bostick case at the U.S. Supreme Court, which essentially imposed it in our civil rights laws? What, Where can we make a difference in and uh, bring an, uh, uh, an integrated vision of the human person uh, into the conversation about uh, our public life? Well, I think, uh, first of all, we have to uh, 
I've done some uh, prayerful reflection, some background reading, and I think there's a few things we have to uh, be clear about. Number one, we have to be uh, people of integrity when we deal with the issue and invite people to be the, do the same and not just simply follow the trends. I think, uh, secondly, we have to, in great kindness, uh, disagree where we find the issue prevalent. And we also have to point out, I think, that uh, in the media, there are a number of treatments of transgender issues, but they're full of double standards. And so we've got to be very clear on what the church believes, not what the uh, mass media is producing. Uh, as a result, I think we, we have to encourage people to seek truth and to do it within the context of, of, their, of, of the faith response. What pastoral guidance would you give to business or at workers and businesses where uh, where you're required to uh, use the preferred pronouns of a coworker or you're just trying to navigate these questions in conscience this new anthropological landscape that we're facing you want to affirm the truth about the human person but at the same time you don't want to offend anyone and you don't want to get fired how are people going to or uh, what are some practical ways i guess i should say that people can live in this tension that we're going to be facing where all around us we're going to be uh, living in the ambient air of a culture that promotes uh, and celebrates even a transgender identity? Well, I think, it, first of all, it's, it's how we respond uh, to the issue. And I think I don't think it's something we should draw away from. Uh, I don't think it's something that we have to be fearful of. Certainly, we don't have to be condemnatory in the things that we say uh, at the water cooler, if you will. But rather, as we lead with compassion, we have to ask the questions which hopefully will help us begin to see that it's okay to be challenged and it's okay to have a dialogue and that we have to just be very clear that gender ideology that maintains that sex can be separated from gender is not the Catholic understanding of the human person and that there are limits to how people can manipulate their bodies, which means I think in a respectful way where those things exist, I think we have to gently but clearly challenge them from a faith perspective. If you know, a person doesn't have to risk their job or anything else to, uh, to be faithful, but I think uh, one of the great resources I've always found is if, uh, if somebody disagreed with me, I prayed for them. And amazingly, sometimes I found out I was wrong and sometimes I found out they were wrong. But if we begin from that faith perspective, everything we do will be done uh, with love, uh, as Jesus would have done it. And we can just be very clear and with uh, love and kindness to say, well, I don't see it that way. We've been grateful for your time, Archbishop Carlson, today. I want to ask you one question, though, about a controversial issue that emerged during the end of your tenure as Archbishop of St. Louis, and that's the the question of monuments and the great statue of uh, St. Louis, King of France, that graces the city of St. Louis. That's certainly the namesake of the city. And again, monuments reflecting uh, questions of identity. Who are we? What? Who do we hold up as heroes? Um, who should be reflected in our civic life? And there was a lot of controversy around that statue. It's still standing today, perhaps miraculously. Certainly there are a lot of public discussion around it. What lessons can be learned from that episode? It seems that there was an effective response from the Catholic community. Uh, what 
lessons can be learned for us in regard to our historical figures, uh, some of the things they may have said or done that don't reflect the sensibilities of today, but we can still honor those folks and perhaps should honor those folks uh, because they were saints, uh, as in the case of St. Louis, King of France, the 750th anniversary of his death we just celebrated. What lessons do you think we can learn from that whole episode in St. Louis, Archbishop Carlson? Well, first of all, if we don't know history, uh, we have the chance to repeat it. And I think that with, uh, and I'll just focus on the statue of St. Louis the King. Uh, first of all, what we did is we had a, a very strong prayer response. And every night for a period of time, there was a group, faithful Catholics, priests, uh, religious, others, uh, lay people, um, who just prayed the, prayed the rosary at, at the statue. They, they came in prayer. And over time, I think that that, uh, that had a very positive effect. Uh, at the same time, both in our diocesan newspaper and in our sermons and in other ways, we talked about uh, St. Louis, the King of France, uh, who you know, used to invite the poor to come in and eat with him and who uh, was very faithful to the sacraments and who um, educated his son who would replace him someday and uh, who was a great father and family man. Yes, it's true, he also participated in the Crusades, but that's all they knew. But I think as they've learned more, uh, I think it's been better. Thirdly, and that's certainly important, uh, we have an interfaith partnership here in uh, St. Louis. And so we turn to the churches and ask them to express, from all the various uh, points of view, uh, what's the best way to deal with this. I think long, the long and short of it is, um, at least up to this point, it's been uh, peaceful and um, because everyone realizes that we're open to dialogue, that gives them a, a way to continue to raise the issues and hopefully to learn something, too, about a, a great saint of the Church. Indeed, and thank you for that wisdom in a, in a difficult situation that I think many of us are facing with regard to uh, especially the great missionaries uh, who have statues all over our country. Certainly we're dealing with that here. Well, it says something really uh, serious about our culture today that uh, we're attacking uh, Christian, Jewish places of worship uh, out of anger, and that uh, there's something going on which is in our culture which finds people turning more and more uh, into themselves, and that whatever they say and what they believe, that's the truth. And, of course, uh, relativism is something which uh, uh, will destroy a culture, and uh, we've had some challenges recently which are very, very unique. Indeed, if we turn to subjectivism, then it's just a, a na- naked power grab at the end of the day because there's no common framework with which to discuss and litigate the issue. So uh, an important exactly. an important point. Archbishop Carlson, thanks so much for joining us on the Bridge Builder program today. Your resource, Compassion and Challenge, can be found on the Archdiocesan website. Would you give us your blessing before you leave us today? I'd be happy to. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, If they can't find it for some reason on the website, uh, they could uh, uh, write a letter to the communications office or send an email, and they can point them in the right direction. Wonderful. That resource, again, is Compassion and Challenge from Archbishop Robert Carlson, dealing with these vexing questions and our pastoral response to gender identity ideology. Thanks so much, Archbishop Carlson. God bless you, and thanks for joining us on The Bridge Builder. We'll be back in a moment with our mailbag segment.
Welcome back to The Bridge Builder, where we help you connect your Catholic faith and public life. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and now it's time to jump into the mailbag. Kit, what questions and comments have been sent our way this week? Yeah, we received an email from a listener who says that he really laments that our immigration system is so terribly broken. He's feeling like there's just nothing that'll ever get fixed on the federal level, while he's also faced with the realities of immigrant families in his parish who are left confused and even scared to be part of the community. So he wants to know, what can he do on a local, on a practical level, to really be an advocate? Well, he's hit on the the challenge that the immigration system is broken in our country, and uh, there hasn't been the political will, especially at the federal level, where it needs to be done to fix it. And so instead, as we kick the can down the road, there are these piecemeal responses, uh, depending on the administration, um, that uh, exacerbate the problem sometimes in many instances, whether it's uh, the detention or separation of families, uh, whether it's the mass deportations uh, that occurred in the prior administration, let it be said, the Obama-Biden administration, um, or some of the detention policies in, in this administration as well, and especially the the rhetoric uh, surrounding our welcome of migrants and refugees. That's why Immigration Sunday Minnesota is an important time in the church for us to reflect about how we can care for and advocate our migrant and refugee brothers and sisters. Typically, that's been observed on Epiphany here in Minnesota, but this year it's being moved to sep- Sunday, September 27th, so that Immigration Sunday Minnesota and World Day of Migrants and Refugees are celebrated together. It's a wonderful opportunity to reach out to migrants and refugees in our communities, get to know them. Pope Francis talks about a culture of encounter. What are their challenges? What are their struggles? How can we best serve them? Pope Pius XII uh, really wrote the charter of our assistance to migrants and refugees after World War II in his his apostolic constitution, Exul Familia Christiana. And he remarked that our outreach to migrants and refugees, like everything else, is rooted in evangelization. Migrants and refugees have had to leave their home under difficult circumstances to find a new place, a new place of safe haven, a new place of opportunity, and are in very difficult circumstances. They need to know that Christ is walking with them. And as we are the hands and feet of Christ, we should be walking with our brothers and sisters who are migrants and refugees and offering them compassion and assistance where we can. From a policy standpoint, it might seem like nothing gets done when it comes to immigration, but it's still important to make your voice heard because eventually something will be done. And uh, whether it's at the state level through immigrant driver's licenses uh, for undocumented persons or the federal level, the need for comprehensive immigration reform, it's important that Catholics reach out and ask their legislators to show solidarity with our immigrant brothers and sisters. A couple of practical ways to do that is right now uh, we can express our solidarity with DREAMers and those who are DACA recipients by contacting our senators and asking them to support the Bipartisan DREAM Act of 2019. You can also encourage the Senate to introduce a companion bill to H.R. 6, the American Dream and Promise Act. Wonderful. Thank you, Jason. And before we go, we have just another minute. What ideas do you have that people could start learning how to bridge the gap between faith and politics? Well, not only is it important to do your research on who is running for office, both federally and locally, but before you inform your vote, you need to form your conscience. That's why, in addition to the great resource, Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship, the document put out every four years by the U.S. bishops with as a guide to uh, the voting process and our participation in public life, we at the Minnesota Catholic Conference especially recommend turning to a fantastic resource, again, from the U.S. bishops called Living the Gospel of Life, a challenge to American Catholics. And what does it mean to live a consistent ethic of life? 
to view our political challenges and problems through that consistent ethic of life and to defend life at all stages from conception to natural death and especially in its most vulnerable moments. The document written by the U.S. Catholic bishops reflects John Paul II's gospel of life and helps illuminate not only the importance of Catholics upholding the life and dignity of every human person, but also the weight of these issues for elected leaders and those of us electing them to office. To read this important resource, Living the Gospel of Life, you can find this and other resources by visiting us at mncatholic.org election. Again, that's mncatholic.org election for a full panoply of election-related resources to form your conscience and inform your vote so that we can transform our state. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Listeners, remember, you can be part of our mailbag segment. Just send any of your comments or questions to show at mncatholic.org or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Then tune in each week to find out if we include your question or comment. Remember, you can catch up on any past episodes online at mncatholic.org slash podcast or search for The Bridge Builder Podcast on your favorite app. Thanks for tuning in today to The Bridge Builder. We'll be back again next week with another great guest, more of your comments and questions, and a new way for you to build bridges between faith and public life. I'm Jason Atkins, and for Kit Cross of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, thanks for listening. God bless your day.